0: WQXR, in conversation. Earlier this year, before the current health pandemic took over our lives and forced us all indoors, WQXR's creative director, Clemmy Burton-Hill, texted me a Midtown address, where a music soiree was taking place at the gorgeous apartment of violinist Joshua Bell. We got a glass of wine, a few pieces of sushi, and watched from the back as two violinists and a bassist made their way to the front of the makeshift stage. They started by playing the first few chords of the chaconne from J.S. Bach's D minor partita for violin. Clemmie squealed softly, leaning in saying that this was her desert island piece. What started as a familiar and gentle chord progression quickly developed into an energetic mashup that combines Bach with Bonnie Iver's song, Calgary. By the time the performance was over, we were in awe. The atmosphere was electric. We immediately introduced ourselves to the members and organised for them to come in to the studio the very next day. My name is Rosa Gollum. I'm a producer at WQXR. And this is Classical New York. Featuring Clemmy Burton-Hill talking to the trio, Time for Three.
1: Absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome to the WQXR studio three of the coolest musicians I think I've ever met in my life. And that is saying something. I've met some cool musicians. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Tell it's us who you are. It's a lot of pressure.
2: It's a lot of pressure. a lot of pressure. Well, my name is Nick Kendall, and I'm one of the violinists and backup vocalists in Time for Three. I'm Charles Yang, and I'm also one of
3: the violinists, and we're all vocalists here, okay? There's no backup, there's no lead, but I'll take the lead
4: position. Yes, you will. Yes. Hi, my name' is Renan, and I think I approve of this message. I'm a bass player, and I also sing in time for three.
2: Tell us about time for three. It's love. I mean, people ask us this all the time, and I think over over the years it's definitely changed. but our common ground is you know having all learned as human beings but also as artists through the masterwork scores of classical music. But we all had this affinity, just like so many young musicians of today um wanting to play the kind of music that's sincere to them which can include the great masterworks but then can include stuff that's being written today or original compositions so there's that but then there's this somehow there's this chemistry of sound and when we're actually playing it's this living and breathing thing that happens between the three of us that there's nothing, there's nothing like it in the world so it's awesome
1: there's definitely nothing quite like it in the world. It's really hard to describe the energy and vivacity of a time for three performance. How much of it is improvised? How much of that chemistry is dependent on the sort of alchemy of the evening? And how much are you just actually like really planning each beat,
3: each? Everything's planned. Everything's,
1: everything's yeah, choreographed. Yeah. Oh, don't don't we ruin practice, it for me. <laughs> we practice
3: for nine hours a day yeah. just to get everything right. No, no. Um, I would say I would say so much of every show is so different, and that's why we do this thing that we call playing live you know it's uh It's so interesting to go into a show and have of course a
2: structured plan but what, what, what do you guys think like 40%? i'm forty percent when people say improvisation, I think sometimes there's a perception of like totally off page and random stuff all the time. I mean for myself, when you're speaking even about playing a piece of chamber music, you have to improvise because you have to be flexible and react to each other. And that is improvising on a certain level. And what happens with Time for Three is yes, we do have our worked out parts, but then when you go from one section to the next section, what happens between that moment and that energy is always flexible and is definitely completely influenced by the moment, the surrounding, the vibe of the audience, the hall, whatever, and each other. If we've gotten enough sleep, if we're
4: hungover, (laughs)
1: But you never play hungover,
4: right? Ever. I I don't know. I don't I don't know how to answer that exactly. But I you know, the the, there's like a difference between this word spontaneous and improvisation. And I I think, you know, there's a fluidity in the way that uh, we we try to make music when it comes down to. Making a mistake and being able to laugh it off or even having a moment in the piece where it's supposed to be a certain dynamic, but just at that moment, we just took the liberty not to do that to the point of literally flying by the seat of our pants, you know, which would be improvisation. We love to talk about this with students and because, you know, we'll get them to raise their hands and say does anybody improvise in the room? And like two people out of a hundred will raise their hands. And we're immediately describing to them that, you know, if you, if you walk and you talk, you're improvising all the time. It's something about like making it second nature that, that, can be really special.
1: I think particularly classical music suffers from this idea that these are scores preserved in aspic. You know, we have Mm. to be so reverent about the notes on the page and that's the thing and there's a sort of terror of of going outside of that. And of course, you know, Bach and Vivaldi, the great Baroque-era violin writers, you know, they would have expected the soloists to be improvising all the time.
3: Yeah, 100%.
1: Do you feel like you're in a kind of continuum and a
3: sort of tradition? We're lucky because no one wrote for two violins and bass. (laughs) Bach did not write for that. Mozart didn't write for that We're a very unique kind of combination So when we think about reimagining a piece May it be Bach or something in modern day We have to think creatively And that's what's so fun about improvising or arranging or just writing music it's, There's always that kind of challenge there uh, There's no mid-range You've got a bass and then two kind of trebly instruments You, know, you don't have a cello, there's no viola in the middle And we have our voices. So that kind of limitation always makes it a super creative process in what we do. I need to talk to you about the vocals.
1: Of all the things, that might be the thing that has blown me away the most about your music making. For anyone who's ever tried to play the violin and sing along at the same time, it's really difficult. Why, why was it important for you to bring the vocalising into what we don't often see? You know, we see instrumentalists do some pretty wild stuff, but singing along is quite a rare thing to behold. Why that?
3: I think it goes to what we were just talking about, how, how do we expand the sound? We've always done that with our instruments, maybe like the kind of extended techniques with the harmonics or the pizzicato stuff. But how do you expand it a little more? And when we went into experimenting with vocals, we realized that instead of three instruments, we have six, you know, and six voices. And that gave us a larger palette to work with.
1: When you guys were studying, did you expect, did you aspire to go down a much more traditional classical path? Because you're all deeply steeped in classical music.
4: Well, I... First of all, I, I fell in love through jazz, and that was my, you know, my conduit genre that just took me into all genres of music. And when I got into school, then I just found this great affection and love for classical music and, and orchestral music. And I really, really then started the focus in trying to be an orchestral bass player and play in a you know one of the best orchestras in the world and i have the privilege to work with the philadelphia orchestra and uh, play in that bass section and go on tour with them and i loved it but time for three kind of just came whimsically and just grabbed me and put me in that group and then it was like we couldn't turn back from from that point so it was even a debate at times you know like man i've been Practicing this one thing, you know, for so long, I'm so determined to accomplish getting into an orchestra, but then there was this incredible opportunity to go perform center stage, play all these different genres of music for, you know, people that loved it. And it basically became something that we couldn't deny doing.
2: I think for myself, I had these two worlds. So I think my parents made me play violin because it was an activity that gave me some sort of structure and discipline. (laughs) as a kid cuz I just had no I I was just wild my my poor mom but I'm you know I'm I'm a proud product of the Suzuki method which for me Suzuki was all about structure but then fun and games it's imagination you know I believe I think everybody in music it's like freedom comes from discipline and you know I wasn't allowed to do the dance and witches dance until I could play exactly in tune perfect articulation and in group class all the older kids were doing it, and it looked like so much fun when you're four years old. And so, man, I worked hard. It was great motivation. It's um, just
1: dance the one that goes. Kick,
2: kick, and then you turn your bow around. It's like, whoa, cool! This is so naughty,
1: and it's so performative.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, you know, it's
1: it's <laughs> it's so
2: it's like, oh my god, we're turning the bow around. Imagine, and then that we're moving. twirling around. Oh my god. <laughs> And then my mom is from Japan, so I was very lucky enough almost every summer to go to Japan. And I went to kindergarten there, but then I went to these amazing cultural festivals that happen in the streets. And that was the first time when I was very young I experienced the fantastic, scary, incredibly intense sound of the taiko drums. And I I have to believe that that sparked something in me because I had this affinity for in the moment, the visceral connection that the drum has. So I had these two worlds of like structure through learning Bach, playing Mozart in tune, which really helped me as a person, as a young kid, but then being able to release this energy that I had by doing bands with my friends in high school or having a bucket band. So these were these two sides that came along, and Time for Three has been able to kind of find... I mean, these two worlds came together for this band, and it's really very satisfying
3: Yeah, we all lived very different but similar lives. I mean, to be a classical musician, you know, when you're growing up, it just takes so much dedication and and learning what's written and learning the different scales, how to play in tune, like you were saying, the different modes, everything. All of our friends didn't understand why we had to practice two hours, three hours a day, maybe more, uh, while they were out, you know. And I used to get real jealous about that kind of stuff. We all did. But um, when... We all learn to improvise. It's kind of a curiosity that we all kind of share. And, um, yeah, that's where I'll end it right there. We had that dedication to classical music, but we're curious people. Well, I think you can
1: hear that in your music making. One of the other great sort of underpinnings of the Suzuki method is the idea that music is a universal language. Yeah. And that's why you teach four-year-olds or two-year-olds, not because you want to breed precocious little brats, but because, not that any of you guys are, obviously, are <laughs> but, but this idea that actually as we're learning and developing our verbal language, that's the perfect time to also be developing our musical language as human beings. And I feel like one of the great things that you guys do is kind of, yes, breaking down the boundaries and those rigorously policed barriers that classical music kind of exists within. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the rigorous policing is being done by those on the inside. And for all the talk of wanting to to welcome other people in, there's actually not much appetite for it. And sometimes it's coming from the outside because it's like, we don't want to go in there where all those like, you know, classical nerds are and I think what you guys do so joyously and so authentically and naturally yeah. is just it's music. Music is music. That's so and that's big. really it
4: kind. Like that. I I just read an article uh, of a new concert master that was appointed in in the second paragraph, it said, "So the concert master is the person that sits in front of all of the violinists, and it started to describe you know what a concert master is and it made me think like you know if they would say, you know the quarterback is the person who accepts the ball from the center and then either hands it off to the running back or passes it and It made me a little sad because i i didn't feel like in my heart, I wanted a description for that." sort of thing and I, I think that it it comes down to that it is just music and it doesn't matter what it is it's another language and we kind of all live off of like just you know this different taste and that's kind of the beauty of what it, it is to work with Nick and Charles in Time for Three that you know we we just share this collective vision that it's all music and That is what's going to go into whatever we're creating. So there's not a limitation with genre. You know, there's not a limitation with improv or a plan, whether we sing or we don't, whether we, you know, play our instruments like drums or like a guitar or a banjo. And yeah, it's fun. You know, I have a five-year-old that's in Suzuki piano now. So basically, I'm also in Suzuki piano because I'm the dad. And we go and the, the teacher, you know, as a parent, you want your kid just to do well. You just want to practice and, and be fantastic, but most of all, happy. And the teacher is just constantly there talking to the parents saying, it's about creating a really wonderful vibe. That's about the energy. It's about the playground. It's right now. It's just, you know, that fertile ground. And it's it's beautiful when when you can you can share in that.
1: Well, and about communicating with other human beings and listening. I mean, you can't be a good musician if you don't listen. So it kind of, I think, does make for a slightly more empathetic and, yeah. and hopefully curious human being. And yeah. if, if I had to ask you a horrible sort of, you know, desert island question, what is the ultimate piece of music? I really hope you're going to say what I think you're going to say, or maybe you're not going to say it.
3: I think you know I what think one I of know. us will say. I feel, I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. I'm looking at you. What's it going to be, it. Charles? I think you know that it would be Bach yes. yes. I mean, you know, what's funny is Bach Chacon is, I have played that in a desert one time, and I had a huge memory slip, and I just went, oh, and I can't say that word yeah, on air. Yeah, I was air. there for it. And Nick it was, was beautiful. There.
2: It resonated through the canyon. Yeah,
3: the memory <laughs> slip resonated through, through. Uh, but that's a 12-minute piece, you know, and it's, uh, it's just one of those pieces where you're scared of it, but you're just, it's it's all those voicings combined it just created um, I think it was Joshua Bell that said something like it's one of the greatest achievements of mankind or something and it's, he's so right about this so know?
1: right I feel like it's the blueprint for everything yes well time for three it's been an absolute joy we're going to hear awesome. you play some music thank you so much
2: it's so great being here you're doing wonderful things well thank you're you you're awesome thank you thank for being
1: you. with us on WQXR woohoo
5: Thank you.
0: Kendall, Charles Yang, and Renan Mayer, who make up the self-declared, classically-trained garage band, Time for Three. They played live in the WQXR studio, Chaconne in Winter, their rendition of the Chacon from Bach's D minor partita. This interview was produced by Clemmie Burton-Hill and Sapir Rosenblatt, with help from myself, Rosa Gollan, and Lucas Krohn-Grimberger. The technical producer was George Wellington.